Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. Today we are in the fourth and final week of our series that we've been calling Stand Firm, Love Well. And it's a series where over the last month, we've been talking about this very real tension that often exists in today's culture, where we feel like we have to choose between those two things. That a lot of times we feel that in our relationships, Or maybe you feel that in your family. Maybe you feel this at your job. Maybe you feel this on social media or at your school. That that it feels like there's this tension between do I stand firm or do I love well? And what we've been learning in this series is that God never calls us to make a choice between the two. That he's called us to do both very well. It's not either or, it's both and. That God has called us to stand firm and love well. But I, this week, I really have it on my heart to make sure that you understand why he is calling us to do both of those things. Why he's calling us to, to stand firm and love well. And it's because if we do both of those things well, if we stand firm and we love well, what that does is it earns us the right to influence the world around us. And that's why it's so important that we do that because it allows us, let me put it this way, it allows us to earn the relational equity needed with other people to make a difference in the lives of other people. And we see this all throughout the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. We've been looking all throughout this book of the Bible throughout this series because they lived in a pagan culture that was constantly trying to pull them from the things of God, but they figured out a way, even with that tension, to stand firm and love well, and they did it in a way where it earned the right and the relational equity to be able to make a difference in the lives of other people. And we see this clearly in Daniel chapter six, starting in verse one, it says, Darius the Mede, who by the way was the third king, that is mentioned in the book of Daniel that Daniel served under. And I love that he did it for a long time, that he served well and consistently through many different stages of leadership. And so this is the the third king of Babylon that he serves under, Darius the Mede, and he decided to divide the whole kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. And so he took the whole country, divided it up into 120 little pieces, and then put a leader over all 120. And then it goes on to say that in verse two, it says the king, he also chose Daniel, who most scholars believe was in his 80s at this point, and two others, so three guys, as administrators to supervise those high officers and protect the king's interest. So get this. So out of everybody in that country, which at the time was the world's superpower, so out of everybody in there, Daniel was one of three people selected to oversee those 120 leaders. Talk about influence. So Daniel, it says, he soon, I love this, proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Another translation says that he distinguished himself. And what I love about even that language, that Daniel, he distinguished himself, it wasn't saying that he had all these things about him and he had all this talent that, dis- that was distinguishing. 
that it was more he, how he lived his life, how he treated people. It distinguished himself. It set him apart from everybody else. It's how he stood firm and he loved well. And it says, because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. I love this. It says he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. And so he did this day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. And I wanna make sure that you see and connect the dots that by doing that, by standing firm and loving well, it led to tremendous influence. Now, last week, we talked all about, we kind of leaned into this thought of how to stand firm. And this week, I wanna talk about the other side, just for a few minutes of, if you're taking notes, write this down, how to love well. We're gonna talk about that today, and we're gonna deep dive into how do we actually love well. And I don't know if you know this, but love is a big deal in the Bible. Uh, you kind of see it from cover to cover. It is a big deal in the Bible. In fact, in Galatians chapter five, in verse six, it says the only thing that counts. And if I ever read that in my Bible, it gets my attention. It says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And Jesus he gets asked one time, like, what's the most important commandment? Out of everything in this book, cover to cover, what's the most important thing? And this is his answer. In Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 37, Jesus replied, out of all this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, all the law, all the prophets, this entire book hang on these two commandments. So in other words, he's saying that everything in this whole thing, you wanna know what following Jesus is all about. It can be simplified into two things, love God and love people. That it's a really, really, really big deal. Later, Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 34 says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Here's something brand new, love each other. And I'm sure people were thinking right there, like new, Jesus, that ain't new. We've been hearing about this for a long time. What do you mean new? Come on, Jesus, let's, let's move on to something else. Jesus, can you just give me something deep? Like, I want some more Greek. Can you break down the Greek for me? Come on, give me a little Hebrew. You know, like, give me, give me a little bit of Hebrew. Come on, can you give me a little bit of exegesis and hermeneutics? Like, give me some, I just want to go deep. Like, give it to me deep, Jesus. And, um, you know, like, that's kind of what it, what it goes into. It, and it's almost like, like we graduate or we move on from loving people. Like, somehow, that loving people is like elementary Christianity, and let's move on to something else. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Let me tell you something brand new. And really, the next sentence is what makes it so new. Because he just doesn't say, love each other. This is what he says. He says, love each other just as I have loved you. That's how you should love each other. See, I've been following Jesus now 
for almost 22 years, and I still struggle with that. That Jesus says, you want something new? I want you to love people the way that I love you. And that's a love that, that never gives up on people. It's a love that's completely selfless. It is a love that's marked by giving, not getting. It is a love that sacrifices everything for the other person. It's a love that went first with no guarantee that the other person would ever love them back. It's a love with no strings attached. And Jesus says, that's how I want you to love people. That's the standard. That's the bar that you have to hit. You have to love people that way. And then he goes on with the very next sentence and says this. And I even left it left a little blank here so that we can kind of have, have a little thought around this. He says, your blank will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, if you for somehow just like have, have literally just slept through and not paid attention for the last 10 minutes and you didn't have any clue what was in that blank, what would you think was in that blank? Because I know when I see that blank, I may think something like this, like your perfect church attendance is what will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That if you go to church and bonus points, if you post on Instagram and social media that you are at church, that is how you prove to the whole wide world and all your followers that you are my disciples. Maybe you would fill that blank with maybe your Bible knowledge and how much time you spend reading God's word, that that's what will prove maybe your prayer life is what will prove to the world. Maybe it's your giving or your faithful tithing or the fact that you serve on the dream team. No, that is what will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Maybe this, it's like my moral superiority. That's what will prove to the world. It's the choices I make each and every day that is better than other people. That's how, maybe it's this, the fact that you are right, that will prove to the world that I was right on this and that. And then people will know that I'm his disciples. But that's not what Jesus said. He doesn't say any of those things. This is what he says. He says, your love for one another, that will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In other words, that the defining characteristic of followers of Jesus should be loving people. And let's just be honest, just for a moment that the church has not always done this well, hasn't always gotten that one right. In fact, what I believe is that there may be some people that are here today, maybe you're watching online, and you've been hurt, significantly hurt by the church, or by somebody that leads in a church, or by somebody that has called themselves Christian, and you have found yourself on the other side of being extremely hurt. And let me just say on behalf of somebody that leads a church, let me just represent all those people and let me look you in the eye. And I wish I could go to coffee with you and just let me say this. I'm so sorry that you've been hurt. That I promise you that that wasn't God's plan. And maybe you have connected God with how you were treated by somebody at church. And I just wanna remind you that the church is a perfect vehicle driven by imperfect people. And then I'm sorry if you were hurt that that was not God's plan. And that's not who God is. And that's not what God calls his people to do. God says that your, that your love for one another 
will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And church, that is who God has called us to be, people who love well. And I believe with all my heart that if we love people well while standing firm, I believe God will open up so many doors for us to make a difference, that we will earn relational equity to influence the world around us. Now, in this church planning process, which was a long, it was about four years start to finish from the time God spoke to me on a Tuesday in my devos, out of nowhere, did not expect it, to the time it was launched Sunday. It was about four years total. And throughout that time, I just want you to know, if you ever start a church, you will have some very honest conversations with God. Um, just very raw, very honest. And in one of those conversations with God, I felt like he told me, this that really has really marked a, a lot of this process for me. And out of nowhere, I felt like he said this sentence. He said, Brian, I've made you to be a bridge builder. You are a bridge builder. And honestly, when I first heard that, I really struggled with that. And my first question is the question I've been asking since I was a little bitty kid. Why? Why? Like, I've, I was a big why. Uh, like, I always ask why. Any, any other why uh, pr- people in here, you got to know the why. Like, Don't tell me what to do. Tell me why, and then I'll buy into it. Yeah, that was me. That's always been me. Um, and so I, I was like, God, why? Why? Like, why have you made me that? I just don't get it. Because when I look in the mirror, I don't see what you see. When I look in there, like, just to be honest, like, I'm not the most charismatic person in the world. I'm not the most magnetic. I don't go into a room and necessarily light it up. Like, that's not me. So God, what do you mean? Why me? And in this conversation with God, I felt like he said directly to my heart, it's because you're consistent. And only consistent people can build bridges. Because you can go into this group of people and be exactly who I called you to be. And then you can go into this group of people and be exactly who I called you to be. And you can actually be the person that brings those group of people together. But if I were to go into this space and this place and chameleon myself into this group, and then I did the same exact thing over in this group, it actually creates a wall, not a bridge. Because if I bring them together, I'll be exposed for not being real to one of them or both. And I felt like God say, I've made you to be a bridge builder. And I felt like he told me this, just consistently be who I've called you to be. Stand firm and treat people exactly how I've called you to treat people. Love well and watch what I do. I'll use, and listen, I've tried my very best. I have not been perfect, but here is what I've learned. I've learned this principle that standing firm and loving well, it builds bridges, not walls. That's what I've learned. I've learned that standing firm and loving well, it builds bridges, not walls. So my question is, what does that practically look like in everyday life? Like, what does that look like tomorrow? What does, like, how do we stand firm and love well in a way that builds bridges and not walls, in a way that earns the relational equity to influence the world around us? And when I started thinking about this, what I realized is that nobody is better at this than Jesus. That if you look through the four gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, you see Jesus doing this over and over and over. And God led me to Luke chapter 19. It's a beautiful story. And let me just read this to you. It's going to be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read the first 10 verses and listen to how Jesus does this. That Jesus, he entered Jericho 
and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. We're going to talk about that in just a moment in the region. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus in that tree and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. So Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to the house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now to fully understand this story in the Bible, you and I, we need to have an accurate picture of Zacchaeus. Because maybe when you read that, you just think, maybe you grew up in church, like I grew up in church, and uh, I remember hearing about Zacchaeus in Sunday school and VBS. And so maybe you are sitting there thinking right now of Sunday school VBS Zacchaeus, like Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And uh, come on, Baptist, where are you at, okay? You know, or maybe when you hear this, maybe it's the first time you hear this and you think, okay, tax collector, and maybe you just instantly picture like some dorky accountant, accountant-ish, like, like tax guy, like some little dude with glasses and a pocket protector, and he has a list, and he's like, I'm here to collect your taxes, you know, just like, hey, you know. But that wasn't tax collectors back in the day. In fact, if you study, like at the time that this was written, tax collectors not only took money from the Roman government, but they also took as much as they could extra. As much as they could bully and manipulate people, they would take as much money. And the more they took, the richer they got. So Zacchaeus would have been way more mob boss than he would have been IRS. And so essentially, Zacchaeus, he was a professional bully, a cheat, and a thief. And not only that, he was very good at it. Notice that it didn't say that he was just a tax collector in verse two. It actually says that he was a chief tax collector, that he was the best of the best, that when he would walk down the street, people would look the other way because they did not want to cross Zacchaeus. And out of the entire, out of that big old crowd that says that there's this massive crowd that is there, that's who Jesus wants to hang out with. That's who Jesus says, hey, let's spend some time together. Even though they don't believe the same thing, even though they don't behave the same way, they probably didn't see eye to eye on all the issues that were at the time. And if there was an election in that city of Jericho, I'm pretty sure that they would have voted differently. But that's who Jesus says, I want to hang out with you. But by the end of the story, what we see is that that guy, his life was completely changed. So what in the world did Jesus do to have that be the result? And when I see this, 
I see four things that Jesus did that I believe we can do. Oh yeah, I'm going a four-pointer today. I'm taking the three, I'm making it, and I'm getting fouled, and I'm shooting that free throw afterwards, okay? So let me just share four things that I see in this text that we can start doing today and watch what God does. Here's the first. It's very simple, by the way. Just want you to know, this is gonna be like, I can do this, you can do this. I promise you, you can do this. Here's the first thing I see is that Jesus just saw him. Jesus saw him. And one of the things I love most about Jesus is the fact that he just didn't see crowds, he saw individuals. And we see this all throughout the story of Jesus, time after time. We see that he just didn't see big crowds of people, which he was surrounded by a lot of big crowds of people. He saw individuals, and out of that big crowd, he sees Zacchaeus. And one of the prayers that I pray almost every day, I ask God every day, God, will you give me eyes to see people today? I ask that every day. I encourage you to start praying that every single day. God, would you today give me eyes to see people? And will you give me eyes to see people the way that you see people? At my job today, will you give me eyes to see people the way that you see people? When I'm going around town today, when I'm doing my errands, God, will you please give me eyes to see people? Will you help me see my family the way that you see my family? Just help me see people. But the truth is, I think it's so easy to get so busy and to be going so fast and to be so distracted and so focused on you and what you got and yourself that it's really easy to not see people. But Jesus, he saw him. We see that he saw him. Here's the second thing I see is that Jesus knew his name. Jesus knew his name. He didn't call out, hey, short dude in the tree. You know that he says, hey, Zacchaeus. Listen, he never labeled him by his physical appearance. He never labeled him by his behavior. Nothing on the outside. He only saw what was on the inside. And he called him by name. And how many of you know it means the world when somebody remembers your name? Come on, it means it mean you feel like a million bucks whenever somebody remembers your name. It's like, I just met you one time and you remember my name. I love you. You're amazing. I don't know anything about you, but you remember my name. <laughs> and because, because it makes you feel so special and so valued and so seen. Listen, church, never underestimate the power in learning and knowing and saying someone's name. See, knowing someone's name, it shows that you care. See, people become personal when you know their name. And Jesus, he knew his name. He called him by name. The third thing I see is that Jesus just spent time with him. He just spent time with him. I love that Jesus just straight up invited himself over to his house. There was no shame in his game. He's like, hey, let's hang out. Let's go grab dinner. Hey, I'm coming over tonight. Let's go hang out. And I love that Jesus connected way before he ever corrected. I love that. See, I, I love that Jesus, he cared enough to connect, to spend time, to get close. And here's what I've learned. I've learned this principle that distance, it creates distortion. So when people are just comfortably at a distance, it's so easy to not see them clearly. That when people are far away, you just can't see anything about their life. When they're far away, it's so much easier to judge 
It's so much easier to make assumptions about who they are and what they do. And that's because that distance, it creates distortion. You just can't see clearly. But on the other hand, I've learned the opposite principle, that proximity, that that creates perspective. So if distance creates distortion, proximity, it creates perspective that when you get close, when you spend time with people, when you hang out, when you hear their story, when you figure out and actually care to be able to know what's it like to go a mile in your shoes, that whenever that happens, whenever you can have coffee with somebody, whenever you can grab dinner with somebody, that that proximity that closeness, it creates some much needed perspective. And that's what Jesus did. He chose proximity over distance. He chose closeness over somebody being far away. And he spent time with him. And the last thing I see, number four, I see that Jesus just had a conversation with him. I see that. I see very clearly that he just had a conversation, not an argument, not a debate. Not a social media beef. He didn't get all up in the comments. You know, he just had a conversation. Now, we don't know the details of that conversation. I believe it happened between verse seven and eight. We don't know the details of that conversation. We don't know what they talked about. We don't know how long they talked. But we do know that that conversation led to his life being forever changed. Listen, never underestimate the power of a conversation. Never underestimate the power of a conversation. See, I believe that two chairs and a closed door can solve a whole lot of problems in this world. If we just talked, had a conversation, and in this story, God used one conversation to completely change someone's life. See, Jesus saw him. Jesus knew his name. Jesus spent time with him, and Jesus had a conversation with him. And the result was that somebody who didn't believe what he believed, who didn't behave like he behaved, his life was completely changed. I love Jesus so much. See, because when he was able to do that, he never lowered his standards. He never had to compromise his convictions. He was able to stand firm and love well. And he, in the result of that was that he gained enough relational equity to influence and to make a difference in his life. He earned the right to build a bridge, not a wall. And church, let me remind you, that is the Jesus that we follow. That if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, if you've said yes to him, that is the Jesus that we are called to follow. You want to love well, you follow that Jesus. Follow that Jesus. Now, before we leave, I think it's really important that we see something, one detail in Luke chapter 19, that's pretty easy to overlook. And what we see here in Luke chapter 19, it happens consistently throughout the life of Jesus. Because if you look closely, there were some people who didn't like what Jesus did. There was people that didn't like that he hung out with Zacchaeus. And um, one of the things that we see is that when that happens, I think it's important for us to know, to have our eyes wide open, that if you choose to stand firm and love well like Jesus did, there's a good chance that there's gonna be somebody at some point, sometime that won't like it. 
There's going to be somebody that maybe that doesn't understand. There's going to be some people that maybe don't like what you're doing. Um, I just want you to know straight up that if you make the decision to stand firm and love well, you're not always going to get to please everybody because there's people that didn't like what Jesus did when he spent time with Zacchaeus, that he would spend time with that chief tax collector. Listen to what it says in verse seven. It says, but the people, they were displeased. He is gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Can you believe that Jesus would spend time with him? They grumbled. And I started thinking about why they felt that. Like, why would people feel that? And I think it's because they were so upset. They were so upset because deep down they had a rating system for sin. In fact, come on out and let me see this. I want you to get this picture because I think it's so easy for us to see sin like this, where we see that sin has a size and there's small sin and there's medium sized sin and there's, there's large sin and there's extra large sin and then there's, oh my goodness, there's super sized sin. And we put sin into these categories and if people stay on this side and it, it can range anywhere from little white lies that nobody really knows about, it doesn't hurt anybody, that doesn't have that big of a deal to all the way to like, I'm just gonna commit mass murder today, okay? So everything and everything in between. And here's what we do oftentimes is that we'll say, okay, like here, whatever sin that I label here, if people fall neatly into this category, then they're good people. But if you start getting here and on this side, then you're a bad person. And I think that's what happened with Zacchaeus in this story. People said, oh, Zacchaeus, he's not over here. He's way over here. He's the chief tax collector. You know what he's doing? He falls over here. So he's a bad person. Jesus, why would you hang out with that person? And I think we also use this system sometimes to, to judge other people based on where they are compared to us. And if I fall over here, and if people fit within my range, this is good people. But if people don't fit in my range, and what I, I think their sins are way bigger than mine, then they're bad people. Let me tell you, church, this, I know sometimes that we feel this and that this is how, it's so easy to see sin this way. But I'm telling you, this is not how God sees sin. Let me show you how God sees sin. Where we see small, here's what he sees, sin. Where we see medium, he says sin. Large, sin. Extra large, sin. Supersize, sin. That's what God sees. When he looks down, he just sees sin. Sin is sin. He doesn't see different sizes of sin. God just sees sins. And let me remind you of this. This is a sobering, I hope you never forget this. This is our story. This is my story. This is what God has done in my life. 
This is your story. This is all our story. See, this story that we read in Luke chapter 19, that Zacchaeus, this is his story, but we are Zacchaeus. We may not be short physically, but we're all short spiritually, every single one of us. But Jesus, the perfect son of God, in his grace, chose to hang out with us and love us and die for us, all of us sinners. Every single one of us. You see, here's what I want you to get. Sin is the great equalizer. It is. Between all of us. Between every single person on planet earth. Sin is the great equalizer. How can we think that we're better than someone else when we all have the same story? Because Romans chapter 3 verse 23. It says clearly that for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Every single one of us, we all sin. We all fall short. We all make mistakes. We're all jacked up. We're all messed up. We all have issues. Every single one of us. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages, the penalty, the price of our sin is death. Listen, sin doesn't make you bad. It's way worse than that. Sin makes you dead. So the payment for this, what is owed here, is the same thing that is owed here. And that's death. Somebody has to die to pay for that. And if somebody doesn't pay that bill, your bill, then you have to. And see that, that verse, one thing, I, Romans chapter three, verse 23, it is a very depressing verse in the Bible. It says, everyone sin. We're all jacked up. That's what it just, we all sin. But listen to the very next verse. Yet God, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his side. And it's not just because he canceled the debt. It's because he paid the debt. It says he did this through Christ Jesus on the cross. That is why we will talk about Jesus every single week in our church. That's why our number one value is that Jesus is our message. We will never graduate from this message. That we will only go deeper and deeper into the realization that Jesus did what I could never do when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented not me, not you, not what was deserved, but he presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sins, which means, church, that we don't have to pay for something that Jesus already paid for. That love and grace and forgiveness and a fresh start is available to you today. So the question is, what do you do? What do you do? How do you receive what he's already paid for? And he answers in the very next sentence. In verse 25, he says, people are made right with God. If you wanna be right with God today, listen up. People are made right with God. Not when they do a bunch of stuff, not when you have to earn everything, not when you gotta go clean yourself up and then you gotta come back later. It's when they believe. That's the simplicity of God. 
says, I love you so much. I paid, every, I paid for all this. You don't have to pay your bill. All you gotta do is make the choice to believe, to put all your trust, all your hope, all your faith into what Jesus did, that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. All you have to believe. And church, we do not wanna go one more second without giving you that opportunity right now. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And maybe you're here. And right now you are far from God. Maybe you've never made the decision to receive what Jesus clearly did for you. That he's already done it, but you haven't received it. Maybe you're here and you're just like kicking the tires on this whole church, God, Jesus thing. Or maybe you're here and you have experienced that in the past, but you went off and you've done your own thing. And right now you feel so far from God. I want you to know that today, everything can change. That today you can experience a fresh start. You can experience forgiveness. That you can walk out of here different by believing in Jesus. By just simply putting your faith and your trust in him. Let me put it this way. Just by giving him your life. And if you're here and you want to make that decision, all I want to do is lead you in a simple prayer. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask if you want to be included in that prayer. If you want to receive what Jesus has already paid for. And if you're here and, and that's you, whether it's for the first time or whether it's all over again, I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to boldly put your hand up in the air. And it's not for me. It's not for me to see your hand. It is for you to acknowledge before God as a sign of faith, as a sign of surrender, as a way of saying, God, I receive what you have for me. It's like when my kids come up to me and they put their hands out to receive what their dad has for them. You can put your hands up and say, God, I receive what you already paid for. I receive your love. I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. I receive what I can't earn myself. And so if you're here and that's you, whether it's for the first time or all over again, I'm gonna ask you to be bold and to put your hand in the air and say, include me in that prayer. Here we go, one, two, three. If that's you, put your hand up in the air. I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. Anybody else, come on. If you're here online and that's you right there in your home, just raise your hand and say, that's me, I received that. That's great, that's great, that's great, that's great. You can put your hands down and just pray something like this and really just mean it from the bottom of your heart. Just say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I believe in you. I need you. I love you. And I'm sorry that I've lived my life without you. I need you. Will you come live inside me? Will you change me? And will you make me brand new? I surrender my whole life to you. I give you my life. I give you everything. And today I choose to follow you. And right now I receive everything that you have for me, everything that you so graciously paid for. I receive your grace. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I receive what you paid for. And God, I'm so grateful for Jesus. And God, right now, I pray boldly over our entire church as we close this series out. Would you help us 
to stand firm and love well. In fact, if you just want to receive this, just put your hands out as an act to receive. God, I just pray that you give every single person in our church wisdom of how to stand firm and love well. Right now, let them receive wisdom. How, how they can do that in their jobs, in their families, in their circle of friends, online, God, at their schools, everywhere. God, would you give wisdom of how to stand firm and love well? God, give clarity. But God, I also ask that you give courage. Would you fill our church with courage to be able to stand firm and love well, to follow the example of Jesus, the ultimate bridge builder, and to build bridges, not walls. God, I ask in Jesus' name for you to do a work in our church and through our church in this city that we call home. God, in northern Kentucky, in all throughout, the, all throughout Ohio, God, in every single neighborhood, God, I just ask, would you use our church in ways in this city to help, to encourage, to point people to you? And God, I pray that as we make a commitment, no matter how hard it is, no matter if people don't like it, no matter if not everybody's pleased with it, God, we make a decision today as one family to be able to stand firm, that we will not compromise who you're calling us to be, but that we don't have to do that at the expense of loving well, that God, you have called us to do both. And so God, we put our flag in the ground saying, we say yes to what you have called us to be. Would you use us and take us as we do that to influence our city and to make a difference in the lives. God, help us to gain relational equity to be able to point people to you. God, we thank you so much for this high calling that you have entrusted us with. And we love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's through Jesus we pray and everybody said, amen. Come on church, can you clap your hands and celebrate with all those that just made the most important decision of their life. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com slash prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at queencitypeople.com. 